Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Josh DeVries, CEO of Intivio, a patient engagement platform for healthcare professionals and their patients. Because of his, his position as CEO of this business, he has unique insight into the trends of dentistry. So today we're going to talk about where dentistry is going, what trends are happening. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ross. Appreciate being here and uh, look forward to sharing some of the things that we're seeing in the market with your audience today. So thank you for having me. Well, I'm pretty excited to hear about this because you always hear, you know, rumors and alleged things and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's good to, for someone who has a good feel of the, of the market, what's going on. So let's just jump right in. So what do you see going on out there? Yeah, so I see a lot of different things. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of different behaviors on the provider side of the business with dentists. Um, obviously, dentistry is by and large a debt ram business. There's a lot of expensive machinery, a lot of expensive investments, capital investments that need to be paid off a long period of time. And, you know, the cost of borrow has increased. So things are gotten a little bit tighter on the dental side. They're having to do a little bit more with less. Uh, and that's causing some changes in what we saw maybe three or four years ago. So I think that's one side of the equation we can talk a little bit about. At the very same time, we're actually seeing a real big demand in uh, HR requirements. It's finding more difficulty to find good talent, for them to stick around. How do we incentivize the staff we have? Well, um, bringing in new staff to our office to, to help you know, fulfill our mission. Um, and then finally, there's the, the patient perspective. And we're going to spend some time talking about that as well, where patients are being more financially constrained. What they maybe would have agreed to three or four years ago to do an implant, they may actually be looking to do a much less expensive uh, treatment plan instead, or a plan that's covered completely under their insurance. Um, the good news is, by and large, you know, dentistry is insurance-based. It's, it's definitely uh, tied to employment. And employment, you know, positively speaking, is quite high in North America today. So in a lot of ways, we're going to have to do things different in 2024. Um, but there's still a strong desire and need for healthcare treatments. And we don't expect that demand to decrease. It's just going to be different ways of positioning the value of these treatments and maybe being more flexible on how we collect payment or how we manage the, the treatment planning process. You know, it's interesting because I, I've talked to a, a couple of dentists who, uh, that I know pretty well in different parts of the U.S., and they were telling me their numbers in the fall were down. And I was like, why is that? And they said, there's no reason why, except that people are delaying treatment and, and and what they were saying was it's an early indicator of economic stress and so almost like an early predictor of a recession now there's been lots of talk about the recession for the last two years and now they're all now they the talk is it's a soft landing but you know soft landing hard landing certain people are always affected and what is your take on 
because obviously there's a lot of dentistry that is is not necessary not only necessary but it's not doesn't have to be done the can can be kicked mm -hmm. down the road it's not urgent you know if you have an abscess in your tooth that's urgent but you know other like you said a minute ago implants that isn't urgent or braces that's not urgent you can kick the can down the road what are you seeing from that standpoint are people delaying treatment because of what appears to be economic hardship so I think we, we got to, you know, unpack that a little bit. I think, you know, there's definitely a change in the economy. I think everyone notices it. Everyone feels it, especially if not in your immediate circle and the circles around you. I think that's agnostic of an individual industry. I think dentistry is less at play, um, if I'm being honest. I think, um, you know, when I look at the staffing shortages, I don't think a bunch of receptionists, CDAs, hygienists have decided to hang their coat, so to speak. I think there's a higher saturation over the last three to four years of new dental offices, which have reduced the amount of work available to work in the, the, the existing offices, but also just more competition, especially at the you know, community GP level. You know, That's we saw DSOs explode over the last five years, and now we're seeing some of the fruits of that, where labor shortages, um, there's more competition. So I think that might be why things are a little bit down, is there's just more people offering very similar services. And that's the, you know, the drill and fills, the, the community dentistry. That, well, that's um, interesting. You're, you're not going to hear that from many people. And it makes a lot of sense if you graduate a bunch of people or the people, they leave and they go start their own practice more competition is a real thing. Obviously, there's certain markets like Dallas, Fort Worth, where you hear stories that there's a dentist on every corner. And so that, that's a real thing. I find it interesting because in some of the highest earning dentists that I've met are in rural areas um, where there's less competition, which is interesting. Yeah. So I think there's that part of it is real. I don't think you can avoid it. I think, you know, as you mentioned on other podcasts, it's about differentiating yourself from the norm. It's like, what is your sweet spot? What are the three, four, five things that you do disproportionately well and that your customers choose you over the guy down the road or the gal down the road? And I think, you know, there's going to be a higher need for differentiation. I don't think it's a doom and gloom market by any stretch. I've been in this industry. My family's been in this industry for over 50 years. Um, we've seen all of the recessions play out. And, and the one constant is that when patients find a provider they trust, they care, and they think does competent work, they're lifelong patients. And the goal of dentistry is really to find those lifelong patients and keep them as long as possible. And I think what's happened is that's becoming, it became less of a focus with COVID because due to government shutdowns, due to things beyond healthcare providers' control, there was a there was a contraction in the market um, just out of public safety, public care. And I think we're still rebounding from that. I think a lot of patients either stop going to the dentist altogether. They maybe went somewhere else or they maybe they've taken a hiatus. But I believe the onus for the 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 dentist is to re-engage their patients, to offer them a compelling message to come back into the front door, even though they may have not been there for a year or two years. And there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Um, but we can't expect patients to wander their way back into the dental chair and then more so wander their way back into your dental chair. Um, those are two bridges too far in my experience. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, how do dentists, how do they deal with that? How do, I mean, most people, if they, if they do, you know, they don't want to take a 15% haircut. No one does. How, how do they pivot to make sure they can manage that? 
So I think you need to face the music to a certain extent. Um, there's unavoidable realities that you just must acknowledge. I mean, look at your patient rebooking rates. Uh, you know, for as long as I've been in dentistry, world class has been between 70 and 80% of your active patients already have their next hygiene or recall appointment booked, or they have a form of elective treatment booked, you know. I've seen that number drop down to 40 to 50% of patient faces. And, you know, dentists aren't acknowledging it to the same level that I think they need to. If your utilization rate of your chair has dropped, if your active patient rebooking rate has dropped, um, you need to create an initiative. You need to have a sense of urgency of solving that problem. And the good news is a lot of time it's just peace of mind. People have forgotten about it. And when they're re-engaged, when they're reminded of the value of having regular cleanings, of having, you know, some of these uh, fillings fixed or that, that thing looked at, um, they do actively re-engage. Um, it, it really is quite a phenomenal thing to see is that they, we just need to remind them of that value. And I think with COVID, uh, that onus has been more around getting by. How do we service the patients that really, really, really need the treatment? More so than how do we ensure that everyone is in a level of cycle of care that keeps them continually visiting your office and depending on you for their oral health. Does that fall on the, the, the practitioner to make sure his staff is trained properly? So I think it's the practitioner or the boss, and that often that's the office manager more so than the practitioner, depending on, on the layout. It's on them to identify the, the business problem. And then I think it's on your, your team to help you solve that problem. I think uh, the reality is there's more to communicate now than there ever has been for a dental appointment. And if you're using the same tools that you were before COVID, like just the phone, or maybe sending one-off emails, um, you're going to find it disproportionately more difficult to relay that same information to people than you did three or four years ago. And that comes through a variety of reasons. There's actually more things to talk about, but just as equally so, patients are living more and more of a digital world, which means we have digital filters on what we will actually not only see, but absorb. And that's what we've seen. You know, what used to be able to down with a simple phone call or leaving a voicemail just doesn't work anymore. People don't check their voicemail. And they did three, four years ago. You know, people are reading oh, an no. email and not replying. And they did three or four years ago. You know, we are seeing a huge dependency on text messaging. Uh, we're seeing a lot of it on really leveraging the ask to one thing. So if you have one thing that you need to get from this patient right now, what would it be? And what would be the best bet that we could get it? And you can leverage a tool like Intivio to help you do that in an automated fashion. That might be a consent or a form. But if they're choosing a treatment plan, you need to understand that, like, you probably need to present those plans. You probably need to talk about the benefits and the negatives of each of those options. And what can they expect, not only from a, you know, quality of life, but also a dollars and cents, what insurance is going to pay for. And I think if you're not addressing both of those, um, succinctly, you're, you're going to make up for a lot of surprises on, on higher bills or people ghosting you. Uh, I think I always look at the, the, the responses and people tell me it's getting harder for people to make a decision. People are coming in for consults and, you know, we're only converting what used to be at 60, 70 percent. Now it's down to 30, 40 percent. And I think there's a lot of temptation and my company in itself is like just buy technology to solve the problem. Uh, that's never going to be the solution. I would love for everyone to just buy into you and think it's going to solve, but it's not. What you need to do is me identify the problem and then leverage technology to be an asset, a tool for your team 
to help solve that problem. All the problems that most dentists are facing are essentially going to be solved within their own tent. Um, there's no special secret sauce. There's no silver bullets. There's just a bunch of lead ones. And I think, you know, the, the owner of the practice, the, the practitioner, real primary focus is to succinctly distill what the current problem is and then to build guardrails in which their team can help solve them in the most effective manner and being distracted by everything else. That's interesting. Let's switch gears for a second and talk about the most polarizing topic in dentistry, and that would be DSOs. I've heard so many different numbers on consolidation. I'm curious if, because of what you do, if you have some more insight into that, and in, in that, how consolidated is dentistry today? How consolidated will dentistry become, and over what time period? So, I mean, these numbers by design are difficult to get because there's definitely two thought processes. And I'm going to step back a little bit and talk about those. So you have from the DSO perspective, I'm publicly a DSO. I am a Costco. I don't use Walmart because people like Costco and it's still very large in scale and they do a really good job. And I think, you know, to be a Costco is a noble cause and to be a dentist, Costco of dentistry is a noble cause. So I don't want to disparage that that segment by any stretch but then you also have people that were trying to kind of be the walmarts and i think what you found is patients don't really like the walmarts they they feel like uh this is a personal relationship with a healthcare provider and although there are benefits to a dso structure um really pinning it on high volume low cost as the levers in which you promote it seem to be off-putting um, there are other DSOs which fly under the radar. You would have no idea who they are, but they own 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 locations across the U.S. that are independently branded. So what I'm seeing, and these are you know the numbers that I'm just seeing anecdotally here, about 25% of the market is a very in-your-face. We're a DSO. We believe in you know treating all of your oral health care needs, everything from GP filling all the way through to you know, oral surgery, orthodontics, anything, and then kind of covering that whole suite. And then we see about 20%, like half of our DSO markets are flying under the radar. They're 10, 15, 20 locations that independently brand themselves. They're the community clinic, but all the community clinics are owned by this one person. Um, so I think overall, we're seeing about half of the market consolidate. And it's really, I think, due to some of the reasons we talk about at other podcasts. You mentioned before, there's a subset of customer or dentists that have no interest in being a, an owner, a business owner. They have no interest in running, you know, a three, $4 million revenue small business. And they're going to find a DSO environment much more um, appropriate to their skill sets and interests. And I think that's where you're seeing the rise in demand is on people that want to work for them. I think, obviously, there are benefits of scale. So DSOs are an attractive market, but they were more attractive when money was cheap. Now that money isn't so cheap, they become less attractive. And I think what you're going to see is acquirers are going to be much, much, much more picky on what they choose. And what we're definitely seeing, like, unavoidably, is specialists are starting to consolidate. So we're seeing more and more ortho groups pop up. We're seeing more oral surgery groups pop up. We're seeing more endodontics, uh, orthoperial mixes. Those are the groups that are now becoming more predominant that, that we're experiencing than the GPs. But I think it is here to stay. I think the reality is, um, you know, dentists are a unique personality. 
And there's a large subsect that don't want to be involved in the business end. And that makes them a really good candidate to be part of a, a really impressive DSO, Dallas Support Organization. Well, if based on your numbers, we're, we're almost at 50% consolidation today based on, and I know it's not an exact number. Where do you think we get to and how long till we get there? So I think that's that's the question, right? I think it really a lot of it depends on the cost of money. I mean, it's not a surprise that most of these are, are publicly owned through like Heartland or they're private equity owned, almost everyone else. Um, so I think, you know, there I don't I don't have a silver answer. I think there will always be a desire for an independent dentist. I think especially around the very best, um, the, the premier dentists are going to still be their own shops. But to be honest with you, I think that number could go to 70%. Um, I think there's definitely, it's a good business. It always has been a good business. And that's going to obviously bring in people who want to invest in those businesses. And the really the best way to invest in dentistry is through buying clinics and, and partnering with providers to deliver care on a you know contingency base. Um, so I definitely don't think we're at the destination. There's definitely room to increase the the group practices scope of work uh, but I still think there will always be a desire for that community dentist and I think we will see a good section of the business at least perceive themselves publicly as being a community clinic or a buying group rather than a full-fledged heartland or you know one two three we have in Canada what about some people are selling because they they feel like oh it's not gonna last forever which nothing lasts forever so they feel like they have to get while they're getting as good. What's your perspective on that? I think, you know, at the end of the day, you want to always look far out enough ahead and you have to see where's your trajectory. You know, if, if I am a 25, 30-year-old dentist, I'm going to have a much different perspective on the market. I think um, the cost of capital will remain high for the next five to 10 years. I think that's a reality that we're facing. I think there's too many levers that have been pulled to undo some of the cost of capital. So if I was in my 30s, I probably would not think about selling. I would think about, you know, how do I grow a really good business? Because the one thing that remains true in all areas and all times is that good businesses always fetch a premium. And good businesses in bad times sometimes even catch more of a premium because the contrast to the average is so much greater. So I think by and large, you know, unless this is an outcome that you're looking for in three to five years, I would stick my head down the ground I would try to compete with the guy beside me, do better than them, and really, you know, establish the strategic reason people come to me and then worry about it in five to 10 years. Now, if you're not having that luxury and you're maybe 50s or your 60s and you want to sell, um, it's going to be more challenging. I think I would, you know, to the last uh, couple of people you've had on, I would talk about private deals. I think there's much more better opportunities between a 30-year-old dentist wanting to buy a 60-year-old practice than there is on a DSO trying to buy you and, and you're promising you these, these future outcomes based off levers they have no intentions of you meeting. Um, so I would be much more on the mentorship program to sell rather than the, you know, see what the market bears. Um, because at the end of the day, the value is on the patients that remain. And if you can bring someone in and you have a patient base of 4,000 patients, and that person comes, works for you for three, maybe six months, and then you come a deal, they're going to sell. They have an, a, an expectation they're going to keep almost all your patients because of that transition period. And what we've seen in, in some acquisition deals is that once it gets announced, patients start to leave. That reason, they like the dentist, they like the atmosphere, they think it's going to change. 
um, you know, their friends recommending somewhere else. And, and we, we see that to be the follow-up. So I would probably still look at like, how do you pass it around to someone who's going to hold it and care for it and continue the vision that you've created? I mean, like five years ago, you could create a, a bidding situation where, you know, you could take top dollar maybe from a DSO. Um, but I just have not seen that to be the case. I'm talking to a lot of dentists that are in their 50s and their 60s. And if they were to do it again, they wouldn't have sold to that DSO. They didn't really understand the difference in performance from where they're at and where they kind of promised they would be. And the, the penalty is financial, right? Like they, they promise you an outcome based off the output. And if you don't meet that output, the outcome doesn't come along with it. But like, this is a trickier market. I agree with you. I think, you know, finding areas that are not in major urban districts are really good, but they're also harder to sell. People really want to work as a dentist in a metropolis. Like they want to work in a big city. Less people want to work in a town of 3,000 or 4,000 or 20,000. Uh, but I agree with you. I think there's a huge potential for, um, you know, having a deep penetration of that local community coming to you, relying on you than there is, you know, when there's 30 others to choose from. So let's suppose I'm a dentist, uh, whatever age, and I'm not in the business. I, I have no interest in selling, but I'm going to put my head down and grind. Like um, I think is a great idea. What trends do you see coming over the next several years that someone who's not trying to sell should be cognizant of? Yeah. So I think you need to understand the business you're in. And, and the business you're in, I don't want to be disparaging. It, it, like, obviously, it's healthcare. Um, but it's actually something more simple than that. It's utilization rate. The ability to make revenue is based off the production of treatments you and your team can provide patients. And typically, it's limited by chair time. And if you start to realize, okay, what are the problems of a utilization rate business? Well, there's only a finite amount of chair time. That's a huge problem with a utilization rate business. Um, there's only a maximum. You're trading dollars for hours, essentially, because every the most expensive treatment is only going to garner X percentage of profit per day. Um, and then find creative ways to solve those problems. You know, like utilization rate is a problem that the airline industry deals with. It's a problem that, you know, a plumbing business deals with that has, you know, service calls. Um, there's a bunch of different industries that are you they're trying to solve the same core problem and i've always found in not only in our business but the business of our customers there are solutions that you would have never expect that help solve those problems that are already being actively done in industries not in dentistry and i think there's a huge opportunity to tap into those things um and and to make them the common practice and i think you know what are they well text messaging was that 10 years ago uh, I've been getting a text message from my barber for the last 10, 15 years. My dental office, you know, only the last five, six years. Why is that? Well, it's because something like utilization rate in a barber, which is they have chair time, they need to make sure it's always filled. So they started sending text messages so people didn't forget. And, you know, we saw over time that same tactic become widespread in dentistry. And I think there's a reality. There's a bunch of those sorts of things, whether it be online scheduling, whether it be leveraging AI to help answer solving problems, um, whether it be to equip your patients with a better uh, education to know what they're agreeing to. Uh, there's a bunch of ways in which you can have a better outcome, but it's probably not going to be the tried and true tested tools because everyone's using those. Everyone's thinking about asking for that online review. Everyone's thinking about, you know, putting this on your website. Everyone's talking about, you know, the, the follow-up survey. Like, 
Those are so tried and true, and they're obviously important, but the real X factor is going to be the thing that no one's doing. You're, the guy beside you hasn't even thought of it. So as we wind down here, for those who don't know what Intivio is, talk about it and why they might want to use it. So fundamentally, we're a patient engagement platform where we learn the types of appointments that you do, what are the requirements of the patient for that appointment to be successful, and then configure a communication sequence to ensure that patients not only show up, but they show up prepared for a treatment, successful treatment outcome. Um, so what that means for most people is on average, by and large, they're doing 10 different treatment plans over and over again. It might be fillings, it might be root canals, it might be implants, it could be ortho work. And then really saying, okay, you know, in an oral surgery, there's like 30 things you need from a patient before they can even show up to that appointment. Now, do you ask that all at once in a giant email? Well, many people are. We actually have found that there's a, there's a secret sauce to getting the best reactions from patients and it's leveraging the communication methods that meet the outcome requirements. Um, so an example would be filling out a survey is really good in text messages, not very good for a phone call. Uh, filling an online form is not good in a text message, really good in an email. And there's all these different things that you want, and likely you're using the wrong medium to get the responses you need. And we help you really configure that for your practice under the understanding that no two offices really operate the same, and no two Intibio accounts are configured the same. We want to learn your systems and help you communicate with your patients better. You don't need to learn our platform. We learn you. That's fantastic. So if they want to learn more about Intivio, where do they go? So Intivio.com is a great place to start. I think you'll you'll realize that uh, we're meeting the needs of so many dentists, especially the ones that have complicated communication requirements. Uh, Multi-language uh, messaging being a big one in Canada with French and English, Spanish and, and English being a big one in the U.S. Uh, so you can definitely reach us on our website. Um, you can also reach us on our socials, Intivio, I-N-T-I-V-E-O. Um, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, we're, we're kind of everywhere. But honestly, I think if you're in the specialty market is ask around, go on the online forums, go into the Reddit. Those are where the people that are very, very interested in solving these problems, they live. And there is an active community for dentists on Reddit, on you know LinkedIn, our Facebook groups. Uh, engage with them, ask them what they're using. One in five oral surgeons have chosen us because we are the best solution for them. And, you know, a bunch of others and other specialties have chosen us as well because they made it really work in an unparalleled way. So I think, you know, ask your friends, ask consultants, uh, you know, do your own research, as many of you already will, especially those probably listening to this podcast. Um, and then come talk to the list of vendors who you think would be shortlisted with a very, very specific requirement and scopes. And, and don't buy into the fact that they're just going to solve your problem for you. No, they are a tool that you will have in your toolbox to help you solve that problem. And, you know, make sure you pick the right tool. That's fantastic. Well, Josh, I really appreciate your time today. Your, your wisdom has been very insightful, and I think it'll benefit a lot of people for listening. Yeah, thank you, Ross, for having me. Like I said, I'm always happy to have these conversations. If anyone wants to reach out, my email is josh at intibio.com. And I actually reply to them. So if you do have a, another question or anything you need, uh, please send them over. We'd be happy to chat, whether myself or someone on my team. Yeah, and that's Intibio is I-N-T-I-V-E-O. So it's not that hard. correct. You know, there you go. So thanks so much, Josh. Thank you, Ross. Take care. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. 
This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.